All right, folks, let's thank the worship team. <clears throat> this is Wesley Week, when we're remembering John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement that eventually resulted in the Wesleyan Church and Oklahoma Wesleyan University. So, uh, let's get started this morning. This is, you, you've probably seen movies or at least trailers for movies that say that they're inspired by actual events or based on a true story or something along those lines. Well, this morning I'm going to be preaching to you a sermon that is based on one of Wesley's sermons, but I've adapted it for this audience today. So, here we go. <clears throat> You're asleep. You have your high school musical pillowcased pillow. You have your Star Wars blanket featuring Yoda. All right. And you are in your dorm room sound asleep. Your body is perfectly relaxed. No worries on your mind. You feel at peace. You're asleep. You're safe and snug, warm under your blanket and your bed. Doesn't matter what the weather's like outside. Doesn't matter if it's icing and snowing, whatever outside. You are snug and secure and warm inside in your bed. And you're happy as you sleep. You're having pleasant dreams. Your mind is replaying the night before and the fun that you had. In your dreams, you're once again out with your friends over the weekend, binge-watching your favorite Netflix show till way late at night. In fact, so late that uh, you miss curfew, but you were able to sneak back into the dorm undetected by the RA. And so as you sleep, a smile crosses your face at how clever you were and at how much fun you had over the weekend. But then your sleep becomes a little bit troubled. You get a little bit restless because something starts tickling at the back of your mind, some half-forgotten memory, like there was something that you were supposed to do. You just can't remember what. And so you turn over and you really don't want to wake up because you're nice and warm and safe and happy in bed. But this persistent nagging feeling keeps coming in your mind that there really is something that you ought to do. And, and the light from the window is starting to bother your eyes. And, and the light from the window, it's morning. How late is it? It's, it's, uh, it's Monday morning. It's Monday morning of uh, midweek exams week. And you have two midterm exams on Monday. What time is it? Because you, uh, you were going to study over the weekend, but then there, you know, that Netflix marathon came up. And you were like, oh, I can study later, and you never got around to studying later. And so you set your alarm to wake up early Monday morning so you could study. What time is it? 
And then you look, you look at your clock, and it's 15 minutes before your first final, and you haven't studied. The alarm must have gone off, and you slept through it. And so you're like, all of a sudden, all that peace and happiness and security is gone. And you're like, oh man, I've got to study quick. I've got to. So you've got your textbook that you haven't read all semester long. And you know, you're, you're thumbing through it. You're quick trying to skim all these chapters and, and everything. Because frankly, you haven't been doing so well in this class. In fact, you've been bombing this class. And, and your coach has told you, better get your grades up or else. And your parents have told you, better get your grades up or else. And your advisor has told you, better get your grades up or else. And so, man, you're trying to study. You've got, what's the vocabulary here? What are these terms? All these terms are starting to run together in my mind. I can't keep track of them. And and man, there's some really hard concepts here. How am I going to master this in 15 minutes? And, and it's just not happening. And, oh man, fear grips your body. Every muscle is tense. And panic is starting to fill your brain. Because you get this awful sinking feeling that no matter how hard you cram, it's never going to be enough. And through your fear-stricken mind, a voice starts howling, you are doomed. According to John Wesley, when it comes to your spiritual life, a lot of you are either in bed or in the hot seat. A lot of people are. Spiritually speaking, a lot of people are asleep spiritually. They feel secure feel happy, peaceful, it's all good. They don't fear God or love God. Maybe you think, eh, God doesn't even exist. If he does, he, he probably doesn't really care about what I do with my life. If he does care, then, you know, God is love, and so he probably is just sort of forgiving and and all that sort of thing, so I don't really need to worry about how I live because he'll just forgive. That's what God does, right? Or, you know, surely he grades on a curve, right? Because there are a lot of people who are worse than I am. There are a lot of people who've done bad stuff that's worse than what I've done, and I'm a pretty good person. Maybe he grades on a curve. And so... Your situation is that, frankly, you are a slave of sin and Satan, but you don't really recognize that, and you don't care anyway. 
You are comfortable in your sin. You're asleep, dead asleep spiritually. Dreaming your life away, drugged by the devil's lies and by your own self-delusions. Dreaming away your short life until you pass into eternity. And if that's your situation, then the Bible's word for you comes from Ephesians 5.14, which says, Awake, sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And when Christ begins to shine on you, He shines the truth into your life. And His light exposes your sin. And you begin to recognize God is holy and perfect. And no sin can stand in His presence. And I am not fit to be in His presence. And suddenly you begin to recognize that you're not such a good person after all. And every lie that you've told, and every time you've used God's name disrespectfully, and every time you have prioritized yourself and what you want over God and what God wants, and every time you've let your heart be a hangout for hate and lust and pride and jealousy and envy and greed, you begin to realize judgment day is coming and you will have to give an account to God for every thought and word and action in your life. And the fear begins to rise in you. Fear of death and fear of hell. And you start cramming, trying to change your life, trying to become more self-disciplined, trying to cram as many good works as possible into your life, trying to make yourself good enough, but you are finding that your good enough is never good enough. And you can identify with the testimony in Romans 7.19 that says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. And so, like a fly trapped in a spider web, you discover that the more you struggle and try to change yourself and make yourself better and make yourself good enough, the more wrapped up and enslaved to sin you become. And so when you were in bed, you didn't fear God, you didn't love God. Now you fear God and the judgment to come. Because everything that you're doing is never enough. What's the solution? What's the cure? 
Now, John Wesley preached sermons. But his brother Charles wrote songs. He set the Wesley's message to music. And one of his hymns, one of his songs, describes perfectly the cure, what the solution is. It goes like this. Arise, my soul. Arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before God's throne, my Savior stands. Before God's throne, my Savior stands. My name is written on His hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love His precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race. Y'all, His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds He bears received on Calvary. They pour effective prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive Him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive Him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. The Father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his Son. His Spirit answers to the blood. His Spirit answers to the blood and tells me, I am born of God. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. When we give up on trying to make ourselves good enough, when we recognize that we are trapped and enslaved in our sin, and cannot get out on our own. The solution, the cure, is to put our trust in Jesus and His sacrifice to save us. He will give us the forgiveness of sins. His pardoning voice will set us free from fear. His Spirit will give us the power that we need to make a fresh start and have a new life. Romans 8.15 describes this change. It says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is from Aramaic, Jesus' heart language. And it just means Father. But the point is this, that's how Jesus prayed while he was on earth. And the Spirit of Jesus comes into our hearts and gives us the right and the privilege of taking up Jesus' prayer on our own lips and finding ourselves adopted into the family of God as his sons and daughters. I have friends who used to live in the Kansas City area who adopted some kids out of the foster care system up there. These kids were from rough, rough backgrounds. Drug addict homes, that kind of stuff. They were malnourished. They were bad kids. They were naughty. And yet, 
my friends adopted them into the family and gave them a fresh start and a good, healthy, loving, nurturing home. And that's our situation too. We come to God broken and messed up and bad and malnourished spiritually and God invites us into His family and makes us His children as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing those kids could have done to earn becoming part of the family. There's nothing we can do to earn becoming part of God's family. But as we put our faith in Jesus, He saves us and adopts us into the family of God. And He puts His Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit of love. So that we begin to love God with all of our hearts and love others like ourselves. And that spirit of love changes our lives because that kind of love gives us courage. The courage to do hard things like tell the truth, speak the truth into other people's lives, even if it's a hard truth, because we care about them. God's love in our hearts gives us the courage to do hard things like forgive those who have wronged us and hurt us deeply. God's spirit of love in our hearts gives us the power to be patient and humble and kind. And His spirit gives us the power to say no to temptation so that we no longer have to keep doing what we know is wrong. God's spirit of love changes our lives as we put our trust in Jesus to save us. Here's the thing. That trip, that journey from bed to chair to cross isn't necessarily always a one-way trip. You see, it's easy to start out putting our faith in Christ to save us and then just sort of slide back into bed, right? Oh yeah, I'm saved. It's all good. I don't have to worry anymore. And become lazy in our Christian life. Okay? And the whole book of Hebrews is written to warn people who'd fallen into that trap. It warns, don't neglect what you've heard. Be careful lest you drift away from the gospel that you've heard. Do not become lazy, but show the same effort clear through to the end. And the book of Hebrews gives a number of really stern warnings to people who are tempted just to relax and chill out in their Christian life. Same thing is true with the chair, the chair of fear. Okay? It's easy to start out, yes, putting our trust in Christ to save us and trusting in His Spirit to give us the power to live a godly life, a life that pleases God, and then fall back into trying to do it all on our own, relying on our self-effort in order to live the Christian life. And the whole book of Galatians in the New Testament is written to congregations that had fallen into that trap. And the Apostle Paul warns them. says, you foolish Galatians, 
You, think, you, you started out by the Spirit and through faith in Christ, and, and now you're falling back into the works of the flesh and into self-effort, trying to complete your Christian life just by your own efforts. It says, those of you who've fallen into that trap, you have fallen away from Christ. You have been cut off from grace. And so he calls them to repent, to keep their eyes on Jesus instead of falling back into self-effort and the fear that comes with it, the slavery of performance. God calls us, and the salvation that Jesus offers is one from first to last of faith in Christ, living every day through a living faith in Him. And as we continue to do that, we rely on His Spirit, His Spirit of love, to give us the power that we need to please Him. And God's goal for us is to get us to the place in our Christian lives when His love rules every attitude and action of our lives, every thought and word and deed. When His love breaks the power of our self-will so that we are completely open to God's will doing what He calls us to do in our lives day by day. That's God's calling in our lives. To stick with the cross. Stay with the cross of Christ and find our hope and our purpose, our peace, our happiness, our security in Him. My question for you today is this. Where are you at in your spiritual life? Where are you at in relation to God? Are you in bed? Asleep? spiritually? Are you in the chair of fear and, and self-effort? Are you at the cross? The cross. Trusting in Christ and the power of His Spirit of love to give you what you need to live the Christian life day by day. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here and they're going to lead us in song again. I want you to stand as they sing, they'll lead you in singing. My challenge for you is this. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Where are you at spiritually? And if God is talking to your heart, I invite you to come and pray. Come, come up to the front here and kneel down and pray. And let God confirm to you that it truly is well with your soul. Not because you're napping, but because you're relying on Jesus to save you day by day. Let's pray together as the worship team begins to prepare. Lord Jesus, you didn't die so we could sleep away our lives spiritually. You didn't die so that we could just keep running through the rat race and the hamster wheel of trying our best to be best on our own, to be good enough on our own. I pray that your spirit of truth would confront each of our hearts and let us know where we really are at with you. Shine your light on us, Lord Jesus, I pray. And show us where we are and where we need to be. In 
pray.